Are you recording? Yes. The, the light sure? is on. The light is on. Okay. Is the thing plugged in? Yes. Do we have the thing? What thing? Because the recorder wasn't here last time. <gasps> How so. dare you oh. bring that up? Oh. How dare you? Do the levels reset yes. when it loses power? So do we need to check those oh, again? No, no, no. no. The, the level should be the same because okay. the, the atmosphere knob. did not change. It's knob quality. So we're the knob sits. I do love a good knob. I know you do. You big knob lover. You gotta polish that knob. Mm-hmm. Sparkle. Until it sparkles. Um, okay, here we are again. Welcome to the Murder Brunch. We're the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Rachel. I'm Joe. I'm Clinton. And here's our musical review. <laughs> da, 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 da. No. Okay. Hello, my baby. Hello. <laughs> Uh, this is the podcast where we give you two tales of mayhem and murder and discuss where killer flies on the fabulous Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. He's fabulous. Evil's not fabulous. I'm just, I just wanted to clarify. The scale could be fabulous. The scale's pretty fabulous. but um, It sparkles like a well-polished knob. <laughs> but yes, this is what we are doing today. So, any, <laughs> any biz for our... our Many, many listeners. The oh, website. The website has been launched. We have been hitting that social media so hard. Yes, absolutely. You can find our episodes directly off the website. And then by the time this episode airs, we should have them on wherever. What is wherever it? you listen to your podcast. We'll be on Spotify, <laughs> iTunes, and a few other ones. Yeah, that's the goal. Goody. One other point. Because um, yes, uh, I'm... I, I personally made a little disclaimer last episode, but I'm going to do it right now, is that we're still in the episodes where we were using our old audio setup, so the content of this episode is going to be a little weird, but this should be the last episode where we have that change in, in audio. Yes, from here on out, we should have um, our new sound equipment on our new murder table. And we're going to leave that up to your imaginations as to what is the murder table. <laughs> that is 90 inches of the solid rack. acacia. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're getting into our first story of the episode. And what are we having for brunch today, Joe? Well, today, Rachel was kind enough to bring a cherry cheese coffee cake. Yes, it was very good. It was. And we're having Tennessee breezes. Delicious. Delicious. Tennessee whiskey, cranberry, and orange juice. And this is the honey whiskey. It was a honey it is whiskey. A honey yes. whiskey. Yes. Yes. You can definitely taste important. it. It was good. It was very sweet. Yes. I've never had it before. I enjoyed it. Why are we having Tennessee Breeze? Mm. We're having it because our murder takes place in Tennessee. So I want a preference before we actually start. This murder makes me so sad. Oh. It makes me so sad. And it's actually relatively current. So, this is the very tragic and very sad murder of Emma Walker. Emma Walker was an all-American 16-year-old girl from Knox County, Tennessee. She was a cheerleader at the local high school. Incredibly beautiful. If you look up pictures of her, I mean, just a gorgeous young lady. She had a football star boyfriend, and on top of all that, everyone loved her. By all accounts, she was just sweet and kind and the kind of person you want in the world, not even like a mean girl. On the morning of November 21st, 2016, Ooh, this is current, yeah. Emma's mother enters her room and finds her daughter seemingly asleep in her bed. However, she cannot be roused. At this point, the mother calls 911 and Emma's brother comes in to try to revive her. However, Emma is cold to the touch 
and has no pulse. There is throw up on her pillow. So the first reaction is that this was an obvious suicide. She had taken something, pills or poisoned herself or something like that, got into bed because like the, cur- uh, the covers are up and everything like that, and she died in her sleep. I wonder why they thought obvious suicide if she had all this stuff going for her. Like, I would have thought accidental something or, or like a seizure. Right. Like I would that. assume, like, with the vomit and the everything, yeah. I would assume something more medical like that, but... Hmm. Um, but she's also a teenager, right? Yeah, or moody. Yeah. <laughs> those teenagers. <laughs> those teenagers. Those youths. <laughs> um, but once the police show up, they notice something very disturbing. What was thought to be vomit on her pillow was, in fact, brain matter. <gasps> Emma had been shot in the head. Oh, my God. That's so gross. Mm-hmm. The family was cleared early on in the investigation, and the only thing that they could say about that night was that her father had awoken around 3 a.m. by what he thought was the sound of a door slamming. He got up, checked the house, including the two children, found nothing amiss, and returned to bed. Unfortunately, what he actually heard was the gunshot. However, there was no evidence of a break-in. What investigators found instead were two bullet holes originating from the back and side yard. On the outside of the house? Yeah. Okay. Someone stood outside of Emma's room and took two precise shots through the wall and hit her in the head. So her bedroom was in the back corner of the house. And so somebody stood in the backyard, shot in... And then jumped the fence, went to the side yard, shot in, and made a right angle. Like, they they practically intersected. Right. Not at the same time, because that would be really fast. No. Yeah. He wasn't a specter. Okay. Just and this, obviously, then a first floor. Yes, it was just, floor. it was like a ranch-style house or something like <laughs> it's that. The second floor, he jumped on a trampoline <laughs> both times. Maybe he was a specter. <laughs> the town, which was very small, was devastated. There were crazy rumors going on, and the high school uh, really rallied around her memory. But uh, some interesting information about events in the prior weeks and months started to come up. One of which was that Emma started receiving cryptic and threatening text messages from an unknown number, such as, come outside alone if you don't want a loved one to die. That's not very cryptic. That's scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, this text message was sent while she was at a party or like a small get-together. Emma and her friend did go outside at that point, but there was no one there. Once they went back inside, she got a second text message saying something like, I said, come outside alone. So they were obviously watching her. Yeah. Gross. Was anyone harmed after this? No. Okay. No. Another event that happened was that once on her way home from school, Emma saw a man walking her street completely dressed in black. It was instantly weird to her. And she thought that after she passed him in her car, he seemed to speed up. Emma makes it into her house, and suddenly the man in black is violently banging on her front door, trying to get in. She completely freaks out, but she's a teenager. So she starts a group text with her friends while this is going on. Call the police. (laughs) The banging stops, but she was still terrified, so she calls her boyfriend, Riley Gall, and he immediately comes over. The man in black story is corroborated by a neighbor. After hearing about the story after Emma's death, the neighbor went back and watched her security camera footage of the street. And she, like, sat there, she said, between six and eight hours just watching all this footage. And she actually found the man in black walking down her street toward Emma's house. 
Did the boyfriend see the man in black when he came over? No, it was after he had gone. The police start focusing on friends and interview the boyfriend, who admits that he is actually her ex-boyfriend. Oh, really? Yes. Apparently, she had broken up with him a couple of weeks prior. But I don't like where this story... <laughs> I know where this story is going. This is terrible. Right? But he still wanted her back and had done a few strange things to get her attention, like... Sending cryptic text messages. <laughs> Like staging suicide attempts. Oh my god. And his own kidnapping. Uh, what? <laughs> so obviously the police were a little suspicious. Yeah. Um, out of the blue, the homicide detective gets a call from another police officer asking if they were investigating Riley for the shooting death of Emma. And they were all like, why do you ask? And it was because a week prior to her murder, Riley's grandfather reported his Nine millimeter handgun stolen. Oh, Riley. Oh, this is the boyfriend. Yeah, the He's, boyfriend's okay. grandfather's gun was stolen. Got it. This was also suspicious, but there was a theory that it was actually Riley's mother who did the shooting as a revenge for her son's broken heart. Twist. She left a Facebook message that said something like, if you mess with my son, I'm coming after you. That is so gross. Not only that, but it really shows you where Riley got his dramatic streak. You right, know what I mean? Right? Um, have a mom like that. So because of that information, the cops couldn't pin it down. Like, who has the gun? Where is the gun? What happened? Until two of Riley's best friends contacted the police to tell them Riley just texted them about helping him hide a gun. <laughs> an idiot teenagers are dumb yeah right <laughs> these two kids i want to applaud because this was really i mean they were really good friends right. of riley but they were like no this isn't right we need to do the right thing you know and they did it immediately oh um they tell the cops and they both go undercover with wires and hidden cameras so one night riley calls them over gives them some bullshit line that he had the gun for his own protection blah 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 so the friends agreed to help him. And there's video. Like you can see the video of them of talking to Riley. And it's chilling. That's so brave. I it mean, really, I, I mean, mean, I know I just said teenagers are dumb, but some of them are. Yeah, right. I mean, good for these guys. Like I said, applaud those kids. So the friends agreed to help him. The cops can't engage until one of the two friends actually lay eyes on the gun. Okay, so they right. have to know the, the gun is in is the for possession. Real into there. Yeah. Yes. And then they are to text a code word to the police. Right? Text? Why can't they just hear it over the wire? I don't know what the, and maybe there's a delay or maybe it, who's hearing it is not the same people that are like stationed. Mm. You know? What I because I do remember this story. What I also uh I think they said something about like their audio cut out and like they lost track of them. I didn't hear that. Okay. Like, they lost track of them on the GPS or something, so there was, like, a period of time where they couldn't find the kids, and so the kids were kind of, like, going solo without uh, the cops on helping them. Well, I know that, so what they had is, they had the cops set up in each of their phones under a, a girl's name, mm -hmm. so, like, they're texting a girlfriend. So, uh, Riley gets a pillowcase or a trash bag, there's contradicting stories about that, from his house, and it has something in it. But right now it's just trash bags. So the police are like, you have to see the gun. Or it could be like laundry. It's so unfair to ask of these kids. I know, but it's one of those things like they, it, they're like, we can't go get him. And he's got tennis shoes in a bag. Right. And then now these kids are shown as our, 
are, um, what's the word? Not rats, because that's just the Snitches? <laughs> Snitches. <laughs> Confidential informants. There you go. Thank you, Clinton. They get the trash bag, and they start driving to a bridge over the Tennessee River to toss it. So, hold on, pause. So this is, we're talking within weeks of the murder. Yes. Okay. So within weeks of the murder, Riley reached out to two of his friends and was like, hey, I have a gun I need to hide. Can you guys come help me do this? And so that's... Okay. Correct. Also, it's kind of weird. Do you need friends to help you hide a gun? Like, I would think hiding them? a gun is much easier than hiding a body. Right. Like, he murdered someone completely on his own. Why would he need help hiding a gun? These are all very good questions. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, I'll, I'll talk I, to Riley then, next time I see you. Know, you're a teenager in a world where you tell your friends and text your friends everything. <sighs> and, Rachel, if you created, if you did a murder, you know you're going to text me and help you. Yes. And I would. I would get up in the middle of the night and yes. I would hide help the gun. me. No, help me bury the body because it's going to weigh a lot. A well, gun, I feel like I could drive to a river and There's also the thing if the cops are looking at you or you, Clinton, because I'm there for you too. Yeah. And they're like, looks pretty like, hey, what about me? But it's like the cops are already looking at you and you're like, I got to hide this gun. I'd be like, well, give it to me because they're not looking right. for yeah. me. That would make more sense to me. Yeah. But, but anyways, instead, okay. let's go back to, like, teenagers aren't the world. <laughs> right. So, where was I? Blah, 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 blah. Here we go. They stop for fast food first. Like you do. <laughs> and in the interview, the friends uh, were talking about how it was incredibly surreal at that moment because they knew it was the last time they were going to be together. And that they were pretty much saying goodbye to their best friend. Because they're, they're like, we're never going to see you again. You killed After somebody. That. Yeah. But I mean, and then they're thinking that. And then at the same time, they knew that they had to get him to show them the gun before <laughs> he threw it into the river. They end up parking in a satellite parking lot because they're going to walk to like a ledge and throw it into the river. And at that time, for some reason, again, I don't know why, Riley pulls the gun out of the bag. And, and the friends are completely shocked. Like, you like one, it? One of you them, like, it? like, literally says, oh, that's a real gun, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the recording. It was, I mean, they were, they, I think it became very, very real, real. Yeah. at that moment. Well, and if he was capable of killing Emma, and he finds out that one of them is wearing a wire. Right, and that's yeah. the, when the cops, uh, the detective who was running it, he was like, it was a huge risk. And these boys were a little bit older than Emma. They were in their 20s. So it wasn't like they were asking children to do oh, this. Oh, how old? So you said um, Emma, Emma was 16. Emma was 16. And so how old is Riley? 18. Okay. And he is, I think, a freshman in college at this point. Okay. And then his buddies are a little bit older than that. No, I mean, like they're probably the same age. So 18, 19. Yeah. Oh, man. That still feels like babies. Yeah. Like, do their mothers know what they were doing? <laughs> In such a small town, too. I doubt it. They would never have thought. So they both, both of the friends start texting the the code word, right? (laughs) Gun, gun, gun. (laughs) And the police swoop in. They arrest Riley and find the bag in the um, passenger front seat. And in the bag, there's the gun. There's a black hoodie, black pants, and black shoes. The man in black. He is the man in black. Which is interesting because when that incident happened she facetimed him saying come over there's someone at my door but that was after the banging had stopped right so he 
I guess took his hood off and he's like, and oh, I'm, I'm get, going to my car now. I'll be there in a minute, you know? So. Ooh. Right? Like, okay. this has so many, and I can distinguish the difference between movies and real life, but... Can you? <laughs> like, this is, you know, like, elements of, you know, you've got, like, Jason Voorhees and his mom. Yes. And you've got, like, the whole scream thing. Scream. Of, I was thinking scream. Like, straight up, in communication with the killer, thinks it's your, or it's your boy, like... Yeah, it yeah. is. It's very cinematic. It's, yeah. All right. William Riley Gall... Oh, so not Riley Gall, William Riley Yeah, Gall. but every call, everybody called him Riley. Okay. At age 20, so this is two years later, was found guilty of first-degree murder, stalking, reckless endangerment, theft, tampering with evidence, and possession of a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. His defense was that while he did pull the trigger, he did not intend to harm Emma, just scare her because that somehow was going to bring her back to him. So this is just an escalation from his man in black moment. Yeah. Like this is I the believe next. him. I don't. No. I don't. I th- Could you want to save that for the debate? Or do you want to talk about this right now? Well, okay, just because I didn't write it in this, just be aware he had been trying to get her back and she has just been rejecting and rejecting and rejecting him. Mm-hmm. So this was the end of her rejections. I think it was just another dramatic event in the hopes that this would be the dramatic event that changes her mind. Maybe. I mean, I still think, you know, you killed someone, you gotta pay for it. I feel like I'm in the right because the jury was also not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he received a license with the possibility of parole after 51 years. So he'll be 71 before even possibly being able to get out of just leave him in there. But I mean, that's the thing. 20 to 71, his parents will be dead. Yeah. His siblings may or may not want anything to do with him. He's going to get out and be in a world that he does not understand or know. Mm-hmm. At 71. Just leave him. So the creepiest thing about this dude is that all the while the investigation was going on and the entire town was just in anguish and torn apart, he was writing little tributes on Facebook to her, such as, I quote, living every day through Emma Walker. Love you, beautiful. And I know you're in a better place now. Ew. Riley, ew. Riley, ew. Gross. <laughs> okay, first, before we get into it, let's remind our listeners that we are ranking all of our first stories on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil, where we start with justifiable homicide and go all the way to torture murderers. So, at this point, where do you think Riley Gall falls? I personally believe he is a level two. Jealous lovers who committed murder, although egocentric or immature, they are not sociopaths or psychopaths. However, he can also be a level seven. And that's highly narcissistic, but not distinctly psychopathic persons. Some of the psychotic core who kill persons next to them with jealousy as an underlying motive. Okay, for our debate, we're going to put 90 seconds on the clock where we decide where Riley ranks. Why I think he's level two is that through interviews with people, he does not show any signs of uh, psychosis or narcissistic tendencies. At the same time, the idea of that these acts will have the effect he wants to have on a person is pretty sociopathic, isn't it? It's manipulative. Can you count as level 7 if you if you don't show any 
psychosis before the event. And the only reason we're saying he doesn't show psychosis is because doctors have not... He was never... I mean, he never had any hint, inkling, instance report or anything like that. He was a normal kid before this happened. All right. So, uh, along with the, the scale being 22 levels, it's broken into categories. So your category 2 falls under the impulsive murders in persons without psychopathic yeah, features. 30 seconds, Clint. Whereas 7 is persons with few or no psychopathic traits, murders of a more severe type. So it really is, you were deciding, if there's any psychopathic tendencies or not. I guess I'd have to agree that there isn't. Because he has one victim, she is the target of everything, and it's it's a lot of like hormonal teenage crap. Yeah, it's all, I love you and I want you back. You know, or just, I love you and no one else can have you. He's just unable like to express it in a positive way. All right. At 90 seconds, I feel we're at a category two then. Category two. Clint, put it on the board. <laughs> All right. That falls right up with no one. We have no one at a category two <laughs> Nobody right now. at a category <laughs> two. Not yet. But we're going to, we also would like to remind our listeners that we are not doctors of any kind, and this is all backseat psychology we like to discuss. So a little bit of a recap there. So this was in 2016. He was 18 years old, killed one person. Mm-hmm. Possibly accidentally. Right. So a little argument there whether this was pure premeditated, cold-blooded killing, or he did an escalation twice. gone wrong. The, the only thing, so why the cops thought it wasn't a plan gone wrong is the precision of where he shot to hit her right in bed, yeah. He knew where sh- her bed was, how she would be laying, where her head was, and he fired directly where. Do they know the that wall. through the wall? Do they know that both shots hit her, or did one and then the other one? Did I didn't. It? I didn't see a specification. From what they made it seem was that she was laying on the side of her head, and that's why you couldn't see the gunshot. So I think maybe one hit her, did and the other one or something didn't, or or you couldn't see it. Yeah, I guess that would be an argument against him doing it accidentally, is that he he fired twice. If you're doing it to scare someone, you fire once. Well, you know also, I mean? you fire a wild shot. Yeah, like that. Oh, towards I mean, the yeah, or something that you like that. knew that she wasn't going to be there. Uh, the only thing I was thinking is he wouldn't have realized that it could get through the wall, and that's why I, I thought maybe it was... And also, it's in the dead of night. Yeah. And I, I am not a ballistics expert, but no, I, <laughs> that's why we hired you to be on the podcast. Um, but I mean, that shot through a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something to keep in mind when you're firing in the backyard later. Like I would not have thought. They said later it was what a nine millimeter. Mm-hmm. Like again, I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, is he like standing right in the backyard and yes. shooting? Because so? it, it was also it was almost perfectly parallel to the ground, so like ninety degree angle. And I've shot a 9mm, and it's it's a powerful weapon. Yeah. I shot it once, and I'm like, okay, somebody take this from me. <laughs> also, man, it's the cliche, like, robbing his grandpa's arsenal, like... It's and, always the boyfriend. And, and it made me so sad, because it, it was this lovely young girl who did nothing, mm-hmm. provoked nothing. Everybody liked her, and it's so sad. Very all right, William Riley Gall, category two. And a fucker. So on to our second story of the night, our second tale of murder and mayhem. 
And as a reminder, this one is not ranked. It is typically an unsolved case or something of that nature. Just for funsies. Because murder is fun. Ugh. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, okay. And brunch. Brunch is fun. <laughs> brunch is the best And we part. never want it to end. That is true. All right. The story I am doing tonight is a classic. A lot of true crime aficionados have probably heard of it. But we are doing Bella in the Witch Elm. Ooh. Yeah. That is a good one. Clinton, have you heard of this one? I don't think I have heard of okay. this one. What was fun about this is that I did find out some information that I had not heard before. So that's cool. And I hope I can bring some new stuff to you guys as well. Especially Clinton, because he doesn't know what this is. Yes. Going in blind. So we go back to 1943. And there are four children who are living in Hagley, which is located on the estate of Hagley Hall in Worcester, England. Worcestershire. No, <laughs> that's wrong. So they're out. Um, Do we have to apologize to England? Again? Right. <laughs> so 1943, these four boys are searching the woods for food. You know, it's World War II. They're on rations and stuff like that. So they're hoping to find their truck. They're trying not to hunt because they could get arrested for poaching. But they're looking for like eggs and things like that. And one of them spots a witch elm. Now I need to tell you what a witch elm looks like because this. Also, it's not. Spelled like a witch. Right. It's W-Y-C-H. And which, which was always my thing. I'm like, ooh, they need a tree after a witch. That's fun. <laughs> so witch elms are crazy looking. They're a big bulbous trunk with a lot of like sticks popping out of them. They don't seem to be really green a lot of the year. It seems to be mostly like sticks and stuff like that growing out of it. But the trunk itself is really thick. So our boys are out, April 18th, 1943. Their names are Robert Hart, Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne. And they come across this crazy-looking witch elm, and they're like, we're going to climb up it and see if there's any eggs in there to get. All so, right. So hold on for one second. What are their names? <laughs> just, just the first names. Robert, Thomas, Bob, and Fred. Okay. They, they, so two Bobs, potentially. Potentially. But they also don't have a lot of varying in the story. So, no. But I'm glad you're keeping track. They deserve a lot of notice. Anyway. Details matter. Details matter. So one of the boys climbs the tree and looks down it and thinks he sees a big old egg. So he reaches down to get it and it, of course, is the skull of a woman instead. Yes. And so he puts that right back in that witch elm and he climbs down and they're like, we got to get the hell out of here. Mainly because now they feel like they're going to get in trouble for being in the woods at all, you know, and so they're like, let's go. Isn't it like it was the, like somebody owned the land and yes. they weren't supposed to be in there? That is true. They were in Hagley Wood, which was owned by the lord of this area. Okay, so it makes that. sense that they were like, oh shit, yeah. we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, especially if that lord was responsible for putting a lady in that witch elm. <laughs> but um, as usual with four boys, our youngest boy, Thomas, can't keep a secret and he tells mom and dad, like literally like the next day. He starts texting to all his friends. He texts all did. his friends, yeah, and that's what happens. The skull, so we're, okay, so now we're, we're checking out this tree, right? The skull in the tree had a piece of taffeta fabric stuffed in her mouth. She had a wedding ring. And painstaking detective and forensic work revealed that the victim was aged around 35 to 40 years old. And her pelvis bones gave the idea that she had given birth to at least one child. There's a really great website, Birmingham Live, where they actually did a, a sketch kind of of what she would have looked like 
just like height and the, and they point out the wedding ring and all of that stuff too. So this is the idea of, of how old she was. The body itself looks like it had been rotted in the woodland for at least 18 months. So she really wasn't in there that long when you think about it. I think nowadays yeah. we would consider it long in that like nobody was looking for her. That is true. It was over yeah. a year that some woman had gone missing and nobody had noticed. Yeah. yeah. All right. About a year later, a message appeared as graffiti in the town and it said, who put Bella in the witch elm? It happened again about six months later. And then it has continued to happen to today. People are still tagging who put Bella in the witch elm. Ooh, that's right. pretty neat. Yeah. So 1943, Bella found in the witch elm. Correct. Around 1944, these first graffiti started happening. Right. And I think there's been like big chunks of time where nothing shows up and then someone revives it, basically. Okay, so let's talk about what are some of the theories of how or why this woman was in the witch elm. The first one that comes to mind is the occult theory, and it was cranked up following the murder of a gentleman named Charles Walton in 1945. So when Bella was found, her bones were in the tree, but then there were some bones scattered around it as well. The detectives found some other bones, and so they thought that this was a sign of a satanic ritual. Charles Walton, when he was found in February 1945 near uh, Meon Hill, which was, I guess, a little hamlet or village near there he was found skewered to the ground by a pitchfork and satanism was suspected by some of the locals and everybody was pretty tight-lipped when approached by the police nobody like i didn't really look into that murder because obviously i was focusing on bella but it sounds like nobody like that's an unsolved murder as well nobody knows really what's going on there and the town was not helpful This town just keeps killing people. <laughs> you can't garner the the bad feelings of the witches that obviously live in the woods. Right. In right. England, I think all England woods house witches. All England woods? Yes. That's a bold statement, Joe. There's a lot of witches in England. <laughs> There's a lot of witches. Um, all right. Another theory. So we're going to put the Satanism aside. Another theory is that Bella, and this one's my favorite, Bella was a Nazi spy. Shortly after finding the body, police started to receive leads from a woman known only as Anna. Just Anna was calling on the phone saying, hey, I know who killed Bella in the witch home. According to Anna, Bella was based in the Client Hills area, an ideal place to monitor the munitions factories studded around the Black Country and Birmingham. There was a cabaret singer known at this time named Clara, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Clara Burrell. And she was the lover of a guy named Joseph Jacobs, who was also a spy. And she also went missing. So some people think that this is the same woman. And it was like, it was a weird change of her name. Went from Clara Burrell to Clara Bell to Bella. So this is the, our Nazi spy. Actually, so we skipped from they found the body to now she is Bella and the witch elm. So when did, who? That was all part of the graffiti. Okay, so the graffiti then has attached the name of Bella to yes. this body. It yes. hasn't been any other... No, I couldn't okay. find any reports that like the police named her that or anything like that. But going back to our cabaret singer, Nazi spy... Which I love. I love. Clara Burrell, also, nothing was recorded from her, nor did she have any live performances after 1941. Mm. So, So maybe... something happened to her. Nobody knows what actually happened to her. She's not right. accounted for. Right, she went missing as well. There was some, there were some reports that she was supposed to parachute into the area that Joseph Jacobs lived or was working or something like that, 
And like some people theorize that she went off course and maybe even fell into the tree and got stuck, but then there's no parachute there. Yeah. So how could that work out? And then she had taffeta stuffed in her mouth. Right. Someone that killed seems, her. Yeah. yeah. Someone killed this woman. But if someone killed her for being a Nazi spy, that could work too. Like there's, there's a theory that she came across a third Reich cell, you know, of people and was going to reveal their identities and stuff like that. She was a Nazi spy. And they were Nazi spies. Maybe she's double-crossing? I don't know. Um, police, though, have always stood by the theory that our Bella was a sex worker who had been killed by a gentleman. Um, I after, think they called him John's. Yeah, after, mm-hmm. a, after an incident. And that her bones being spread um, around the area was by wild animals rather than satanic ceremony. Recently, Caroline Wilkinson, who... If you've kept up to date with what's going on with Richard III's remains, you guys are all up to date on those? Yeah, they were they found in a parking lot. Yeah, under a parking lot. Yeah. yeah, they were found in a parking lot, Richard III's remains. Right. And Carol Wilkinson is the expert who was tasked with rebuilding them to and seeing And like, he how they was looked. a hunchback. Yeah. She is also uh, looking at uh, recreating Bella's features so they can get a face to see how it compares to Clara Burrell. Because there's pictures yeah. of her and stuff That's like that. That's kind of cool. The only problem is... They're only using photographs taken at the time because the skull that the boys found and all the other bones have gone missing. Counselor Peter Douglas Osborne, who's an expert on the Bella case, says no one knows where her body was buried. So she can't even really look at the skull. The one thing that they had noted in the paperwork is that her teeth were crooked. Her front teeth were kind of like crisscrossed. But other than that, she's kind of going on just reports. Miss Wilkinson is going on reports on how Bella would have looked. But she doesn't have the actual bones to work from. So, um, rewinding a little bit. You said it was an Anna who called and yes. said, I know who this is. So, any more info about Anna? No, it was the 40s. So, I guess they decided that Anna wasn't a lead they needed to follow up on. But apparently she did send in a lot of information to the police and then she also just kind of vanished like nobody has any more records from her hmm. but she is the one who leads to the nazi spy theory and then of course we we cannot discount satanism was at work but that is the story of bella in the witch elm but now i want to know more about charles watton's i know steward, or walton's, walton's steward with yeah. a uh Pitchfork. Maybe we'll have to have that for the next episode. That the town just has to go quiet on. I know. It's really, it's crazy. What do you think? It's creepy. My favorite theory also is the Nazi spy thing. One thing that I like about it is that there is certain documentation, like paper trail, that would lead to that. Yeah. And I think there was something about her being like a Nazi spy, but she was actually Dutch or something like that. Maybe. I'm, I'm not sure I didn't come across that. I did see that some people have reported that the wedding ring they found on the bones mm-hmm. was might have been fake. Yeah. And so it would have been part of a disguise. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, there were, there's also been other theories I know. Like, there was one where it was the town, they had, like, a guy who was notorious for being a violent drunk or whatever, and he would beat his wife, and so they thought he beat a sex worker to death or whatever, and, or something like that, and, um... And the, it was funny, they kept on finding anybody who's, like, got Bella in the name. Yeah. I'm not, I, I would love to know about the graffiti as well. Yeah, who, who was the first person to write that, and why did they write that? Right. You know, so. And why did they run with it? 
you know? Like, oh, well, yeah, this people, is Bella now. <laughs> this is Bella. Um, I guess there were some ideas that it was truly linked to the person involved, and so might as yeah. well start calling her Bella and seeing if there are any Bellas who are missing. I don't know. And that's a really tough thing, too, especially back then. It's like nobody went missing. You right. know? It's like, oh, they ran away. Or... Especially during wartime. I mean, people would just up and leave because there wasn't enough food. And then, yeah. you know, things like that. Do you think it's a mystery that will ever be solved? Probably not. It doesn't... I mean, it feels fairly old. I would think that anyone who was involved has probably passed by now. I think the only way that they would ever be able to solve it is if DNA technology got to the point and enough people, you know, submitted DNA samples or whatever that they found a descendant. The only problem is, is without her bones, they don't even have Bella's DNA. Oh, that's true. So, again, nope. Which, so do we think it's just shoddy bookkeeping where someone's like oh we've got the skull let's just get rid of that <laughs> or is it somebody has intentionally hidden absconded with i think often they when they had unknown people they would bury them in either a pauper's grave an unmarked grave I, a lot of times it was done as a sign of you know respect like right. once you've done your autopsy or whatever forensic work you want to do then they just kind of lay them to rest it was an idea that you needed to keep it for but keep some kind of record it's still evidence in a murder but they, they have the written you know description of what they saw and things like they that. also didn't know that there was any kind of other tangible evidence that they could ever get, get from, from something like that yeah. i mean 1940s is so far away from what they had like fingerprints fingerprints they didn't have like even like did they have like blood type i was wondering i think they had i think they had blood type i don't know are we going to quote John Mulaney again? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we cite our references? Yes, please. Okay, so for um, my story, The Very Sad Murder of Emma Walker, I got my references from Investigation Discovery, their series, Murder in the Heartland. It's season two, episode two. It's a great episode. That show is great. And I also read some articles from KnoxNews.com. I'll just remind you, this came from Knox County, so it's their local newspaper. My sources for Bella of the Witch Elm were from the Unexplained podcast. Great podcast. Big fans. Love it. Um, Birmingham Live website. They did a great article, which I highly recommend people look up because that has the imagery of what they think Bella looked like. And then I also uh, was looking at an article on The Independent, which is another UK newspaper website. All right, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us for The Murder Brunch. We are The Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Joe. I'm Rachel. I'm Clinton. And you can reach us at our plethora of social media. You can find us on our website at murderbrunchpodcast.com. Instagram. Murder Brunch. Facebook. Murder Brunch Podcast. Twitter. Pod murder and our email murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. Thanks everyone for coming and join us next week for more mayhem, more murder, and more snacks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we really know how to end it.